Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser like us. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today we've got kind of a double feature. Of course, we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian Chapter 1, because, you know, it's the first episode, so Chapter 1. Um, and at the very end of this episode, that's going to be the, obviously the majority of our time, we'll also talk about Resistance Season 2, Episode 6, From Beneath. Um and as we'll find out in our next announcement as well, it's getting a little bit busy. Uh, oh boy, to be a Star Wars fan. We've gone <laughs> it's going to be getting very busy. We yeah, had, it's we an embarrassment of, of riches. To everything. I mean, if we think about it, like we have the Mandalorian. Two episodes of the Mandalorian this week, and I cannot wait to discuss the first episode. The second episode drops as we're recording this. Uh, really, later tonight or tomorrow morning? Uh, if they follow the pattern they did this week, it could be as early as nine p.m. tonight. Um, oh. Nice. Uh, but but definitely sometime tomorrow so that's really exciting and then um we've got jedi fallen order coming out tomorrow again this is uh friday um uh the 15th the uh, highly anticipated game from respawn um we've got uh, resistance reborn that came out uh a week ago two weeks ago um the star wars force collector comes out next week both of those books are are extremely good and we'll be reviewing those soon uh so yeah we've got a lot of content yeah we're we, we got content <laughs> oh, coming man. from the show pretty soon we're uh yeah we're trying to make sure we bring it all to you we may do a couple shorter reviews for certain things and then uh, maybe dive back into those in, in in greater detail as needed later but um we want to start by reviewing the mandalorian guys it's it's here after what a, a year or two of, so long. of waiting and all the buildup, all the hype. We and now it have and pays off. Oh, and we now have our first live-action Star Wars TV show ever, wow. ever. And is, wait, is this really? Yeah, like, uh, well, think about it. Okay, no. by way of series, cause if you look at TV show, wouldn't that be considered the holiday special? Uh, no, that's a that's a one-off. And then they yep, had but like it's the still a TV show. They had the Ewok movies the tv movies oh, the tv movies um but they've never done a live action tv show set in the star wars universe it's always been animated um, wow yeah i guess you're right i this is a milestone this is pretty Whoa. cool yeah so this is this is pretty cool to be a a star wars fan right it is now. it's a, it's a big moment oh, sure. and I, it's i think this hopefully shows that they can do star wars uh live action uh, at, at quality, at scale, mm-hmm. it, the way George Lucas always dreamed of of doing yeah. it. Because remember, he he watched the you know the old Flash Gordon uh, uh, show, and he wanted to kind of do something like that. That's why Star Wars was episodic to begin with. Uh, and and I think yeah. there was a quote from him recently, you know, a few years back, talking about how the future is. You know, he thinks the future of Star Wars in many ways is is episodic, and that's kind of the way we're looking with the current slate of. Uh, uh, of films uh, being up in the air, yeah. Uh, but lots of lots of Star Wars television content, and boy, does it deliver! I mean, this this the show kicked off uh, Disney Plus. It is the marquee uh, show on Disney Plus. So I cannot and wait. We'll we'll talk about this more. It is the Star Wars thing 
I think I have been waiting for really all, since yeah really since Disney bought Star Wars. Wow, that's high praise. It is it is high praise and it deserves every ounce of it. Well, can, well, well, let's let's get into this because this is this is this is really good to talk about how good quality always had to be there. But you know, with the episode rundown, this is the Mandalorian season one, episode one, chapter one. As William said, this was written by John Favreau and it was directed by Dave Filoni. Hold on, let's, so, let's take a moment to appreciate this. Yeah, because directed by Dave it. Filoni, Star Wars live action. Congratulations, and by John Dave. Favreau. Yeah, who played a Mandalorian in the Clone Wars. Right, and and of course is a very accomplished writer and director of his own right. Yep. Um, Iron Man. Most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has he's had at least a hand in. Yeah, uh, you know, like he's done some some cool things before. He's he's, he's not a small name, you no, know. And, and with Dave Filoni, George Lucas's protege, you know, um, d- directing the the first episode. Hopefully, hopefully people start to realize that this is. Dave Filoni is he he is he's a multi talented man and he's he's more than just the animation guy, uh, and I think we're we're starting to see that. But yeah, uh, Tom, what at a high level, very very high, high level? level because they are straying far 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 from spoilers. Um, what uh, tell us a little bit about this episode? Well, I guess in this episode, the Mandalorian bounty hunter tracks a target for a well paying client. We weren't and about boy, was we're gonna have to wait and talk to the end because I ain't gonna spoil that one. But wow, that well-paying target sure, sure is putting a lot of things down to get to this thing at the end. Oh yeah. Okay, so Stephen, let's start with you because you said this is one of your favorite Star Wars things <clears throat> in. A yeah, while. where? Wh- let's. Where do you want me to start? Like, just. We can start. At, I guess we can start at the beginning. Okay, Most well, you have to. Don't don't yeah don't all it's, stories start at the beginning. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, so the, the show opens up with, um, the Mandalorian name unknown, although maybe not, um, as we'll talk about at the very end and in a spoiler he section. is, uh, sorry in a spoiler section. Yeah. <laughs> in a spoiler section. Yes. Yeah. When, yeah. We're not going to go there yet. Um, yeah. And it's, and he, I just, the opening sequence is largely silent um and he's just he's got a little tracker out that's beeping and it's just such a fantastic introduction to his character as he Mm -hmm. goes after his first target you know goes into a bar like just even the shot of him standing in kind of a snowy planet ish Mm -hmm. um not one i think we've seen before although you know no it's unknown correct me if that's it's unknown planet yeah, yeah, which I, I think, think is actually interesting about this whole episode. There's a lot of unnamed characters, unknown planets. Uh, they're definitely going with the mystery, more the mystery vibe uh, in this uh, in this in this episode. And again, not not not, not yeah. similar from A New Hope, where we saw all this stuff and we didn't really know, you know. Uh, I, I, so one of the things I think I most appreciate is. This show is, it feels like Star Wars through and through. Yes, it does. But it does not, and it, like, and what, when, like, the important thing is when I say it feels like Star Wars, it's not that, uh, like, it, I, as much as I enjoy, like, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, they rely very heavily on things that you have seen before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are things in The Mandalorian that we've seen before, and we'll talk about many of them, but none of them are, the show, it doesn't rely on any of them. Yeah. 
the speeders are new, the droids are different. Like, yep. No matter where you look, like it just it oozes Star Wars without and feels like Star Wars without relying being like, oh, I've seen this before. It's kind of a breath of think, fresh air. Yeah, and 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 that yeah. because it's not hitting you over the head with what came before. There are the hints, like you said, but it's not blatant that this stuff came before. It's setting its own tone within the series. Mm-hmm. And for exactly. me, and for me, the one shot I really love, and it's the total giveaway from the previews, is where the Mandalorian stands in the doorway of that pub as the door opens, and he's just like right there with that awesome circular doorway. And yeah, yeah. just just so freaking cool. And to me, that sets the whole tone of the show because it is definitely a Clean East, Clean Eastwood spaghetti western type feel for this show in the Star Wars universe, and they made it work. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It, it. It. I mean, Star Wars has always had a bit of a western uh, vibe to. It. I mean, they often we often call it a space western, right? Mm-hmm. But this, The Mandalorian, more than anything else in Star Wars, really leans into that western. Uh, yep, uh, Western vibe. Mm-hmm. Like so many moments throughout this episode are straight out of a Western, and yet they feel so at home in in Star Wars. And the uh, I think it does a, a fantastic job blending it. And the pacing feels a lot like you know A New Hope in many ways. Um, yep, and I just thought they did. Uh, I'd actually say it even feels a little bit slower than A New Hope to me. Like, thank you, because I was going to mention yeah. that it did feel just uh, a tad slow. Well, I don't know. Like the it, b- beginning half of A New Hope is uh, is definitely fairly slow. It's like the the first half on Tatooine. But uh, I think the, for this one, for this one, it's a little bit more pronounced because for me, it it was you could tell it had that Western feel to it, mm-hmm. and I think those kind of westerns have that kind of slower feel to it. Yeah. And since the original Star Wars didn't have this kind of feel to it, even though, yes, he was in the desert looking at the moon, moons, but it didn't have that gritty feel to it like right. a spaghetti western. I so think, the slowness works in this case. Yeah, and I think what contributes to that also is the character of the Mandalorian himself. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. he is very much like a, a the silent uh, protagonist, right? He mm. speaks few words. Yep. When he does speak, he, you know, it, it's 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 with a purpose and it's 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 you know intentional. But like there's that whole scene early on in the in the episode where the uh, the uh, the Mithral, the blue skinned alien, we'll touch on a little bit, uh, is like talking to the Mandalorian, and he's just staring at the camera, not saying a word. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that contributes to the feeling of quote unquote slowness, right? Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but again, in such a wonderful way, right? It didn't feel like slow slowness to me. It's yeah. to me, it felt like a show that it. I almost want to say it knew it had nothing to prove, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. Um, but it kind of savors it, it at the time, and it, it doesn't like. I don't know. I didn't ever feel like it was wasting time, but at the other, on the no, other no, hand, it, it didn't no, no, feel no, like no, it was. No. They weren't trying to rush it either, it, which I think is part of the problem that we always. Sometimes we critiqued in 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 Clone Wars and Rebels, just like given the twenty two minutes of of runtime. They often didn't have much time. Like they, they, they. To their credit, they always tried. They always tried right. to have establishing shots and slowness and stuff. But this really is able to lean into it, uh, especially with if if I had to pick. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's because especially since it's a relatively straightforward plot for the first episode. Mm-hmm. Totally, St- Stephen, you're gonna pick. 
I was gonna say, if if I had to pick one word to describe like the pacing of the episode, I'd say it's it's deliberate. Um, yeah, it is slow, but it never feels like it was slow on accident. Right. Like, if yeah, that yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. Right. 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 Or slow, boring. Like it's more methodical or. Um, yeah, like yeah, it just deliberate. It, it this is the speed they intended the episode to be, and you, it may yep. be that you find it too slow for your preferences. Um, but it, I don't feel like it was unintentional. Well, I, and I, I, I do think that's an important distinction for yeah. this. And again, it, it's Absolutely. very much like a Western. It, it brings right. that and, back, which is yeah. not not as common anymore, but it's kind of refreshing. And I think in this case, the slowness works because it gives you it gives you the opportunity to like take in the scene. Let, it, it lets the scene breathe. It lets the yeah. scene like like really capture you and gives you the opportunity to look. And if the Mandalorian did any kind of talking, just let's say useless talking, it would have killed all of that. It would have killed the mystique that they were trying to build. It would have killed that that breath they were trying to 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 focus into the show. Right. This totally works. Yeah. Even yeah, yeah, yeah. even the scene, even the scene where this I may jump ahead just a little bit. Even the scene where the blue skinned guy was walking through the Mandalorian ship when he was trying to find the quote unquote fresher, that even that and just the way he talked, it wasn't loud, it wasn't, you know, over exaggerated. It was just simply played when you really watch the scene and it worked. It didn't seem like it was overacted, didn't seem like it was underacted. Mm. It just seemed like it was just a natural thing, a character that was curious. We finally figured out how freshers were used in space, and not freshers, vac tubes, vac tubes, whatever right. I call it. Freshers was it vac was it vac whatever. tubes? I think freshers are the room. Vac-, vac tubes are the uh, the throne. Okay, Receptic- so a vac tube, receptacle, which is great. Okay, <laughs> okay, so that was figured out, and we got a really good nod to something that we never thought we would hear uttered in a Star Wars show, and that was a very celebrated celebration <laughs> called life day oh, that was pretty cool to see yeah and you know you know what i loved about that because i was talking to a friend of mine today about it the way he said it it was almost like it was at the end of a sentence and it wasn't really exaggerated which i think made it work so well because if he said life day it would have been too obvious yeah 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 so let's let's take a moment so something else i really appreciated about uh just this first episode as a whole is how well you know I talked about it. it doesn't it doesn't lean or rely upon you knowing anything about Star Wars yeah right um, but I loved how many things you could pick up if you if you were a fan mm-hmm. Absolutely. and it was and I, this is I guess again I I very much enjoy Force Awakens and the Last Jedi one of my biggest issues I think with them has been they've every new alien we've seen has been a brand new alien. Um, we haven't seen any of what I would call like the classics mm-hmm. aliens we've seen in four, five, and six, or one, mm-hmm. two, and three. And one of the things I love about this, just even this first episode of The Mandalorian, is the the mixing and matching and those little things. That's like, oh, that's a Quarren. And I was like, oh, at, at first I didn't quite recognize what it was, you know, in, in the um, kind of contain it at the beginning. And I'm like, oh, nice. no, I do know this. Like I've just never seen it in live action before. Right. Or or um, conversely, it's like a a different style of that same alien because of course there's going to be multiple. Like, right. you know, not all humans look alike. Of course, not all Quarren would look alike. Uh, and I really like how they get the yeah. variety. And just like throughout the entire episode, things like, oh, let me call out Life Day. Oh, there's another like uh, Weequays in the background or yeah. um, see Constable Zuvio. 
Constable okay. Zubio, Zubio finally but, made hey, let's his not, debut. Let's, let's avoid jumping that far. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, well, wait, so wait. The, wait. The, okay, so the that, show was that was the Constable, right? Yeah. Okay, because I thought that might have been Embo. We'll get there, Tom. Get sorry. Sorry. The, the first episode is what about thirty five minutes, which is a yeah. little bit on the short side, but yeah. I you know, well, I'm not including credits. William. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But wait a minute. Oh, yeah, sorry. The credits are actually pretty cool. We'll get to them later. Yeah. Anyway, thirty eight minutes, uh, and th- there's really three. I'd call it acts. I guess for the for this particular episode, there is kind of Act One, which is the Mandalorian retrieving his first bounty on this kind of unknown icy planet. Um, act Two is him turning in the bounty on a second unknown planet. Uh, at least I think it's unknown. Yep. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's um, a different planet, too. I'm pretty sure it's because we see him leaving the planet. So unless he flew into space, yeah, yeah, yeah. Down. I'm pretty sure it's a different planet. Yeah, OK, a different unknown planet. Uh, and then we're getting his new bounty. And then act three is kind of the uh, tracking down that last bounty. Yeah. And it was just I. L- so let's focus on the first act. Yeah, go. Like, I mean, we talked about the canteen a little bit fantastic scene a perfect mm-hmm. way to introduce the character demonstrating like just i don't know pedro pascal does an amazing job of uh acting without speaking or speaking very very little right like the scene of you know so there's what was it the mithril um his the blue alien that mm-hmm. his his uh we find out is his target like this sh- he knocks out the three guys that are at the bar we can talk about that in a moment Picks up, he goes over to the Mithril. Mithril's like, "Ah, oh, thank you for saving me. I'll just, I'll just be getting out of my way." Oh, I'll, I'll give you these credits. Oh, you're putting. Oh, is that, is that a bounty puck? Oh, 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 is that me? Oh, like <laughs> all, no dialogue from the Mandalorian, but it just he does such an amazing job of. Yeah, I don't know, telling you who that character is without anything else. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally agree. Like, you, you really get the sense of the, the Mandalorian as he, he's a bounty hunter. He, he does his job. He'll, he'll bring you in warm or, or cold, right, for a little bit less. He doesn't really much care, although we find out later maybe he does have a bit of a heart. Um, and he's, he's, he's good at what he does, right? He, uh, people can, very good. Yeah, very good. People yeah, don't, me- good. don't mess with him. Um, as, as like the, the, the the trawlers find out especially that that quarren who gets <laughs> sliced in half by the door that um, i hate to say it as bad as it sounds that was so cool oh no that was amazing it was yeah, it, totally actually, amazing something that's worth calling out here since we're talking about this particular scene i think this was probably one of the more the, the most violent scene in the in the episode but like the whole show is rated pg you know but it feels like uh you know one of the because i think that probably the problem is a lot of the prestige television or the, the the really high budget television tends to go you know they go into a lot of the violence and uh um you know other adult themes um and which is you know fine in some some cases um but what's nice is that this show has the quality the mandalorian has the quality of that type of show but it's completely approachable to the whole family and it feels like a show that you know adults can enjoy but also i think Really, people of all ages can enjoy, and it's rated PG, so you can mm. even show it to your kids, you know, and it's it's totally fine there. And I think they do a great job of, of striking that balance that Star Wars should actually always strike. And I think this is one of the things that we critique other projects uh, uh, about, and that's the fact that they they t- try to skew too young, and you can actually go older and make it a, a great 
story, uh, a serious story, while still appealing to all ages, still making, and, and you don't have to go to the extreme of like, you know, tons of blood and, you know, violence or, you know, language and all that kind of stuff, right? You can have it be this nice, this good mix of you um, know, content. It's fascinating to me. I, if you'd asked me what this was rated, I would have guessed PG-13. Yeah. It would never I, have occurred to me that it was yeah. only PG. And I think that's part of the, like, it shows you, like, you know, sometimes people associate rating with quality, which is not true. Um, but no. this shows that, like, yeah, it, you can you can have that level of quality that you'd see you might see like on an HBO with the PG rating. Yeah, I think they do an amazing job. Yeah, they did an amazing. And it job. works very well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, it's, what did you guys think of the Mithral? So this is our first kind of. Actually, it really is almost all the dialogue we get for the first act of the show. Yeah. Played by mm, Horatio did, Sands. He doesn't have he doesn't have a name, which is interesting to me. <clears throat> um. I don't know. People I was... in the show don't seem to have names. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, really, is that important that every character needs to have a name? It doesn't. It doesn't. No, and I think that's one of the things, again, like A New Hope did, where there's a lot of these characters that were named years later in, in many right. cases, and, and that's okay. We don't need to have names for all of them. I think for the so purposes are you, of... Are you telling me, William, that you know, in 10 years, they're going to name... There's going to be backstory for every single character here. Oh, I guarantee you there will be. I would but, not be uh, surprised. <laughs> I but, know, I wouldn't surprise me. Either. But uh, I think I for the purposes of our discussion, we can just call him Mithril, but he is technically a Mithril. Um, mm-hmm. But he was an interesting character. He he um, he kind of mostly served as an introduction to the Mandalorian himself as the, you know, because uh, he's, he's kind of chattering and talking to himself a little bit and, and trying to get stuff out of the Mandalorian. Um. He was fine. He seems to disappear pretty quickly. Who knows if he'll come back? But the the I guess my only critique, and this is my only critique really with the whole episode, is that he seemed he's a as a new species, um, kind of like a amphibian style blue amphibian type mm-hmm. of creature. Um, some people said that they they recognized you know Horatio Sands uh, who plays him very easily. I I I didn't recognize him. Um, didn't recognize him at all. However, I. I'd- I yeah, I don't. I wouldn't even know what else he was in. I guess I think he was on SNL or something. Yeah, um, he was a Saturday Night Live alum. But, uh, but the thing I think that bothered actually me most about this character and the the entire episode overall, uh, this is like my pretty much my only critique of the entire uh, complaint about the entire episode, and that's that he felt a lot like a a Star Trek character, a Star Trek alien, and by that I mean an alien that pretty much looks like a human with like some other stuff around him, but like his face is pretty <laughs> much entirely human. Uh, versus, I feel like typically in Star Wars, they do a really good job of making the aliens not look like a human in a suit. I felt like he, I, okay, was too much. I disagree that. with that. Statement, really? I, I, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm taking Steven's side on that one. Until you sorry, brought which, that which, up, which part of the I statement? Didn't the see fact it that he, all. that he looked too much like a human, or that Star Wars normally does a good job. Uh. I, I well, don't think he looked too much like a human. Okay. Um, his mannerisms were more human, which m- might contribute to it. But yeah, it's maybe. I, that no, I agree it's more with. that I, I think a lot of Star Wars aliens have looked like humans with very simple makeup put on. Like a Zabrik is a human with a bald cap and some horns yep. put on the top. Like fair enough. Uh, fair the, enough. Uh, uh, most of them are very slight variations on humans, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing. Like uh, realistically. You're not going to get a full CGI alien or full body suits on a regular basis. It, like the, it's cost prohibitive. Yeah, yeah. And I, Star Trek's I think biggest issue and the thing they struggle with is all of their aliens were oh it's a it is a human with 
either pointy ears or some <laughs> makeup on the forehead or whatever it might have been. Uh, yeah. Even this was it like, yes, predominantly his face is left unchanged, but like the gills were expansive, I guess I would say. Like it didn't it never felt to me like it was uh, they didn't spend a lot of time putting it together, I guess. What why what Steven said. Okay. I mean, I oh, that fair. the character didn't the character did not bother me at all until William, you brought it up that he kind of looks more Star Trek because at that point I, I never thought anything of it. Look, I did like laugh that. when I saw that note because like you're the truth is you're not wrong. He does kind of look like a Star Trek alien, but I'd argue that most of Star Wars alien, like all aliens end up looking a lot like Star Trek aliens because there's only so much you can do on a realistic budget. Yes, correct. You know, no, no, you're totally right. You're totally right. I, right. Thought, I thought he stuck out, stuck out a little more, but that's just my, me personally. I'm actually glad to hear that that wasn't the case for, for you guys. Yeah, like I said, I, I that's really my only critique of the entire... Did, like, man, that was really my only major critique of the entire episode. I thought it was just so well done. I mean, even even from the, the, the early moments, uh, like when we first... We first see the Mandalorian. Like, I, I love the transition from this this new like we get the Disney and Lucasfilm logos followed by this very new set of shots with like a metallic version almost of classic Star Wars characters bathed in like red and blue light. Um, I will say I I wasn't a big fan of the new intro. You weren't. I it, found it very very interesting, and I really hate to say this now. I think about it because I didn't think much about it when I saw it first, but now I'm thinking about it. It's like it's almost like they took the Marvel flip page what, at the beginning of every Marvel movie. I, and I they kind of did. Were, I think that's what they were trying to do. My issue with so. it is it be, because of how the models were, it yeah. looked very cheap to me. Um, they were vi- like, I also don't like get what it serves. Cause like you have the Lucasfilm logo. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's the same texture as the Lucasfilm logo. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't I, get the point I, of it. But but what I was gonna say was like I actually really liked how it transitioned. Like I wasn't a hu- I, I agree with you, I, Stephen. I wasn't a huge fan of the. I don't know. It was it was okay. I guess it wasn't bad. I, would, I wasn't great. Yeah, like it's yeah. The logo didn't uh, detract from my enjoyment of what followed. Obviously, like, it was it was it wasn't some. I, I agree, it didn't detract, but it was something worse. Like you sit there and you're like, okay. I mean, I I can I can live with it because you're trying to distinguish between. The feature films, which would be the Lucasfilm logo, we've we've associated with that for years. Now it comes to TV. So they figured they just can't have that logo and take it to TV. They have to do something different because this is a different medium compared to film. And this is what they came up with. So I can accept that in front of this. But but I loved how we got this beeping over over that though that the the it's not really a logo, but for lack of a better word, that you know, transition or whatever. No, the the fade in and the fade in, yeah, and, the then, fade in. and then yeah. and then the beeping no, continues, and we see the Mandalorian standing on that unknown planet, and it's very mysterious, very, um, very uh, you know, again, spaghetti western. It's just so well done. And then later, once once he captures the Mithral, uh, we just get the very simple Mandalorian uh t- title screen. Uh, very simple, even more yeah. simple than probably Resistance, because there's no really no. Not a lot of animation to it, I don't think, um, but they're it's effective and, and and I think well done, and the, the music goes really well with it, which I would love Absolutely. to talk to talk about more in, in in a bit. But the 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 music is just just quite quite good. Um, but we we get the return of a of a classic uh, species uh, all the way back from a New Hope, a Kubaz. Uh, 
Yeah, so they, he picks up the mithril, he handcuffs him, and then he goes to get the, uh, I guess a taxi is probably the closest equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, Something like that. At their version of Uber. <laughs> with, a, with an instrument? You have to carry yeah. an instrument. Right? Yeah, you know, you don't, you don't call your Ubers and taxis with a, a flute? Which was so interesting. I love the concept. I I, I found it fascinating. Just he's he's calling him with a flute, and he can distinguish between one that's driven by a droid, which I found very fascinating, and I'm looking forward to seeing why the Mandalorian would not accept a droid driving this thing. Yeah, I love. This is the first of a couple different instances throughout the episode where we get little bits of backstory and yeah. kind of character characterization of the Mandalorian without you know, uh, without it being, I don't know, I want to say like spoon fed to you. Like, right. it, not that it's not obvious because it it's very obvious that he has an issue with droids, but it's not. It doesn't be, hit you over the head with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And Which I think I, the you know is always an awesome thing. Oh, you know what? Wow. Okay, so there's a couple different things I'm thinking about here. Um, at first yeah. I was like maybe he just has a preference for a live driver and uh, in particular the 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 whole scene uh, a little bit later with the Ravenax uh, could be a good reason why you might get a human driver uh, because you don't trust the droid but the um, another potential reason that just hit me is later in the episode we see uh, a, a flashback to the Mandalorian's childhood and right. he is, uh, he's surviving, kind of as we talked about in our in the our review of the, our discussion about the, the trailer a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, uh, he, he and what looks to be maybe his mom or something is. Um, well, it looked like it was his parents. Or his parents, yeah, are attacked yeah. by separatists, uh, droids. And, um, and he has to escape and that maybe could contribute actually to like a, a, a fear of droids, I almost wonder. Um, that could be true, and I also wonder how that plays into how the the episode ends. Anyway, just an interesting thought that how he like he has this brand new speeder piloted by a droid, and he's like, nope. And he, instead, he he asked the Kabaz, uh, the ferryman, um, to to summon a, a a new speeder that like barely runs, piloted by an yeah. old man, but is a thank you. Android. I'm gonna cosplay that guy. The 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 the, sh- the shuttle pilot, the speeder pilot. Yeah, the his taxi name. driver. Yeah, a na- unnamed speeder pilot, played by Brian Posen. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't last very long. I don't think we're seeing no. him in the next episode. No. no. Thoughts on the the whole the 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 the, tr- the trek to the to the yards with the, in the Ravenex, which I found interesting. I like how they called it yards, but really there wasn't much there except for the Razor Claw. And was there another ship in the area? And then that creature that came out and basically just feasted on the uh, the speeder. Oh, the space hippo! Yeah, the Ravenek. Yeah, no, yeah. no, the space hippo. Yeah, that was that was like okay. So, and I really love how um, the 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 I'm going to call it Horatio Sands. His character's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to slowly, you know, get is you, you came in this thing and he starts slowly walking away. Like it's almost like he's going to get ready to escape <laughs> yeah. until the thing starts coming out of the ice because of all the cloud stuff. He's like, ah, and then the Mandalorian grabs him, pulls him in. Oh, I mean, he, I yeah. Do. I mean, he, he was even trying to hire like, a livery I, cruiser at one point so he could have a, you know, more pleasant ride. Um, yeah. Yeah. He didn't want to get in that thing. No. Steven. I do love how much I was gonna say. I like how much the Mandalorian is 
he's not really concerned about what the mithril is going to do. He knows that, yeah, no, if you want to stay on the ice and die there, like, by all means, no, get in, of course you're going to get in the ship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, just, I, even the little perfect. touches during the scene were just really great as they're, like, you know, speeding along the, the ice, right? Because it's this giant um, lake that's been frozen over, it looks like. The um, we get some awesome shots through a viewfinder, kind of like in uh, A New Hope. We see even more of that later as they're searching for Ravenex. And honestly, the whole scene felt a lot like um, it's funny if you, if you if any of you have played the new Gears Five game, uh, there's like a lot of scenes out on this icy snow um, oh, lake that's true. I didn't and think with like that. the big fur coats and kind of outdoors and everything. With, you know, it, it just it really reminded me of of that a lot. Was a, it was very very cool. Uh, yeah. One, one question yeah. I had, like the, um, I think it was the 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 pilot mentions that pilots drop their gray holds near the port, attracting Ravenex. What do you think gray holds are? Probably food or something to keep them away from the port. And I guess this one may have eaten his share and decided to go after something different. That's the only or thing I refuse, could figure maybe, out. Or, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. True. One of the true. cool things about this episode is that, like, there were so many little lines that we never heard before, and little types of things, like, like, like you were talking about with the, um, uh, uh, the the vac tubes and uh, gray holds, and you know, all the Mandalorian like chain codes and pucks and ch- you know, all that stuff. It's just, it's very yeah. cool. Um, but you know, the unfortunately, the pilot does not. Does not live long and uh, nope. is quickly eaten by the Ravenac. Um, although the Mandalorian quickly stuns him, stuns the creature with the his his Ambin pul- phase pulse blaster from the holiday special. We get to see it in action for the first time. That and, cracked me up too. And yeah. get a new swear word. Uh, Dank Ferric, I guess, is a is a swear word for the uh, <laughs> the Mithral. <laughs> nice. I guess I have something to go along with the one I learned from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I do. What did you guys think of the Razor Crest? You know the the Mandalorian I like ship. I like it. I like I like it because the the cockpit area definitely they they really like to pull upon um, reference from World War Two. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It definitely had that bomber, long bomber feel to it. I wouldn't say a B-29. Pardon me, still wants to think it's still a B-17, but it looks more like a B, uh, B-29, kind of like uh, uh, feel to the front of it. Uh, but I, I like it. I really do. Want, hey, Lego, where's where's a Lego set of this, please? Oh, yeah, I'd get that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I really appreciate it is, even in the very short amount of time, especially while the Mithril is kind of exploring, looking for something to escape with or whatever it is. Um, I really appreciated how, like, I now know what the inside of the Razor Crest looks like. Right. And I, it, it just makes it feel that much more like a, like it's a real ship. Yep. Like, yeah. oh, you know, I, you go in through the side door and then you can either go to the right to the back cargo door where there's, you know, all the important stuff or you go up and you see the cockpit or you continue on, you get the vac tube. <clears throat> it just, it makes it feel Again, it's just the attention to detail in this episode was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it feel like a real ship. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I just like how we get you get to see more of the ship when the Mithral is exploring on his you know quest to use the vac tube. Uh, tube. Um, no, now he really was not looking to use the vac tube no, because of he kind of looked at it and 
And he it was, was all... always kind of looking for, let's possibly say, a way to escape, which you knew wasn't going to happen. No, and actually, I think that's really telling, too, like about both characters, right? Because the... He, he the Mithril he just keeps talking and talking and talking and talking and the Mandalorian just is completely ignoring him and it shows that the Mandalorian really doesn't care and he's like oh I have to go to the bathroom basically and the Mandalorian still doesn't say anything right because he he's not even it shows you he's not even afraid of anything the Mithril might do he knows that this guy is he's handcuffed no. and yeah he's sure, not like, going anywhere feel free to walk around my ship I don't have a problem with you I know I can handle you I know you're not going to do anything um. And so the Mithril, he starts looking around. He actually finds this, this, all the Mandalorians' weapons uh, in this in this compartment. And and again, I think this is telling. He doesn't do anything with them. He just shuts the door. And I, think, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I, and I, at first, I was like, one, why would the Mandalorian let him look around? And two, why would he just shut the door so quickly? And part of me wonders, like, I think that's because he he knows the Mandalorian is too good. He doesn't matter if mm-hmm. he stole a weapon; he would not stand. A chance yeah well uh especially we about this earlier Go uh ahead. one so one thing i really appreciate in the cantina scene is the uh at one point the mandalorian gets shot and you actually see his armor you know mm. do something mm-hmm. yes which kind is you know not something we normally get to see in uh no star wars no and and so i like it's the type of thing that it plays well into that like oh of course he's not worried like why would he be worried Right, he has no fear of this of this alien, to the point where you know the Mithril starts to get. I don't know if he's getting comfortable, but he's like exploring, and all of a sudden he runs a, a, across. It's not quite clear at first, but he 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 stumbles across a bunch of uh, some other creatures, aliens in carbonite, and that's when you know that's when he's talking about life day, and all of a sudden in, in, a, in a beautiful moment the Mandalorian appears right behind him and he knows he know, without even looking at the Mandalorian he knows the Mandalorian is standing next to him and he pretty much accepts his fate and that he just gets shoved right into the carbonite um, yeah. carbon freezing chamber and uh, is is taken to the uh, uh, to, to the next unknown planet number two yeah I know yep. planet number two and this is kind of a uh, I don't know, kind of the end of Act One, start beginning of Act Two in some ways, um, where we now start to learn a little bit more about how the bounty hunting b- business really works. And you know, I don't, we, again, we don't know what planet it is. It's kind of a wasteland. Um, you know, again, very uh, gray, but this time it's more dirty and, and dry than than snowy. Uh, and this yeah, is certainly more lived in, I would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and this is when we get to start to get to meet more of the the characters and 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 how the start to learn how the bounty hunter guild works, starting with Grief Karga, the uh, the leader of the bounty hunters guild, played by Carl Weathers. I liked him as a character. Looking forward to seeing more of him in this. And what I found interesting when it comes to credits. Calamari flan. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, when, when you're sitting there collecting your credits, you have a choice, you know, Imperial credits. Okay. Or calamari flan. So what? Wow. That's interesting. That's used as credit. Well, I, I, again, it shows that like there's a variety of currencies across the galaxy and, 
you know, with the empire now gone, because this show is set five years after the fall of the empire, right? Uh, we're looking mm. at eight BBY approximately, uh, ABY um, approximately. Um, the empire has been gone. So of course, Imperial credits wouldn't be, you know, as, um, as reliable of a, of a source of uh, currency. Uh, and so he, you know, he, he goes for something a little more niche, like the calamari flan. Um, we also get all sorts of other things. Like we, we learn that grief Karga, he's the, the leader of this bounty hunter guild. And he, he basically hands out assignments to the various uh, guild members. Uh, and the Mandalorian, he wants, he wants all the jobs. So he doesn't really care, but they're all really boring. Like bail jumpers, mm-hmm. smugglers. Um, <clears throat> I will say after watching this, I, how, how much work must he do? Like, it a lot. seems like he cleared yeah. what, four bounties and seems like maybe a day and a half. Like <clears throat> must be a lot he's of people jumping bail or, yeah. but he's not good. And what I find fascinating is, is those, those trackers, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's the thing that that's how you get your bounty. So tracking files, basically, yeah, yeah the tracking box. So, so basically well, what they're things. saying yeah. is that if these guys, let's say jump bail, then they have a tracking chip in them, and that's how the thing finds them. And the fascinating thing is, you know, here he is trying to, Mandalorian is trying to make money, and I think it was, um, oh, God, I'm looking for the name. Where is he? Carbrother's character. Uh, uh, Grief Karga. Okay, Grief Karga, they're telling him, look, you know, I've got all these bounties. They're not paying much. The Mandalorian must be hard up to try and get all four of those bounties. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be an interesting backstory. Why does he need all that money? What is he trying to go for? Well, he just wants work. He wants again. Okay, he he says the money does barely even covers fuel. He's just trying to survive. That, that is true. Forgot about that. Thank yeah. you for pointing that point out. Uh, but I love just how much we learn about the bounty hunters. Right? There's these. They typically get. Um, uh, they get typically get these pucks that have like a description of the the bounty on them in like a hologram, and then. There's these tracking fobs, which it sounds like the it's not super clear, but like clearly it was it was like pointing toward um toward the it's almost like a homing device. Yeah, it's like a homing device. Yeah. And then there's the uh there's thing called the uh um the chain code, which is interesting. And it and it's not really clear what the chain code is, but it almost sounds like it's a verification system where <laughs> it includes My- something plus the assets plus the character plus like the 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 um the bounty's age you know maybe like a name and age yeah. to help identify yeah sounds like i read it as it's it's a way of identifying a target uniquely like yeah oh it's their dna plus their name plus their age plus their location probably uh yeah last something along those lines yes some like personally identifiable personally identifiable information that they could use alongside the tracking fob. Cause I can imagine like you get to the, you follow the tracking fob and there's like 50 people in a room. How do you know which one it is? The chain Look, code. All guess, I'm saying yeah. is the chain code is clearly not GDPR compliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, and that my friends is a and GDPR that, joke. In Ion that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's, you know, there's chits and there's all sorts of stuff. It's, it's really cool just to see the, um, just to learn more about how all this works. Uh, yeah, I, just, I love how the first act is really, here is what the Mandalorian does. Here's the job. And then I feel like the second act is, here is 
what he does outside of work almost like we we see where he gets jobs and then right. in one of probably my I was gonna say my favorite part of the episode but I of all the cool things that happen this is cl- close to the top but I don't think it's the top uh, he goes well I guess I uh, I guess we'll skip ahead slightly. We'll talk about ahead, his, skip ahead. getting it we'll, a little bit. He'll get he gets another bounty. He gets a piece of Beskar, which is again a cool detail. It's the metal that Mandalorian armor is made of, and then he goes to I don't even know how to describe it. Like the Mandalorian enclave, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, is that, is that the right that, way to yeah, think it, about it's it? It's a Mandalorian enclave. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a some there's like this Mandalorian clan in hiding, just just. So cool that we get to see so many more Mandalorians. This this is your and favorite part, kids. Steven? Yeah, that's, yeah. See the Mandalorian kids. You've got the the what is it? The armorer. The armorer uh, was cool, which is just such a great scene. Um, yeah. I loved that the Mandalorians are all as silent as uh, the the Mandalorians clan. The people are all just as silent as he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just ah, oh, it's all so cool and so well done. Yeah, and again, we get more of the more of the Mandalorian backstory, right? We 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 meet the armor. We still a whole bunch of other Mandalorians, but we actually meet the armor played by Emily Swallow, who who is the covert leader of the Mandalorians, and she's also she also is the armor. She she fashions new armor and 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 whatnot. And okay, no, wait a minute. Is she the is she the um, leader of just that clan? Yeah, yeah, or, she is. Okay, That's, yeah. No, that's fine. Um, okay. But what's cool is like he actually they actually like melt the Beskar that uh, that the Mandalorian received from the client. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll jump back to that in a little bit, and uh, and gets a, a, a pauldron. A pauldron is made for him, and we start to see like you know clearly the Mandalorian right now he's he doesn't he has armor and it looks like a Mandalorian, but he's not all put together. In some of the trailers, mm-hmm. we see him in much shinier, newer armor. So it sounds like we'll actually get to see him collecting bits and pieces, and you know, in That's the so cool, yeah, yeah. And, and like in in Star Wars, we know that Beskar is highly rare. It's highly expensive. Um, it is very very protective, right? It's it's lightweight and allows him to move fast, but it also is also uh, extraordinarily strong. protective and strong. It's very difficult well, to destroy. Okay, well, let, let's jump back a bit to when we first uh, see the Mandalorian well, in that cantina and you have the guys who are basically confronting him. Yeah. The one guy actually took, was it a knife, scraped the armor, and the Baskar armor, because he goes, Baskar, scrape that, and you saw the sparks come off the Baskar armor before the naturally question, the Mandalorian is, kicks the hell out of him. Is it Baskar armor, though, now? Now I'm not sure. No, yeah. because he did say Baskar. He, he does, but that doesn't mean He's, he knows. It's, right. So well, the thing that's throwing me is... When he gets his new pauldron, it is very clearly like a bright silver, the same color as his right. helmet. The implication is that I'm not sure. Like maybe it's just that it's new, but I don't know. Yeah, but my he, my feeling he was he doesn't actually have a full set. No, okay, and I think I think he doesn't. Because remember, like in in Clone Wars and I'm sorry, Rebels, uh, we learn that the Mandalorian armor is passed down over generations, right? Um. And so it's very possible that he doesn't have a full set of armor yet, and he's working toward that. Um, in, in fact, we in, later on in that in that same scene, we find out that he is what was called a, a foundling, which sounds to me like a, mm-hmm. an orphan. Uh, and you know, the Mandalorians they they're not just about bloodline, right? They're all about adopting people into their their tribes. 
Okay, so yeah, so wait a I, minute. I heard that as youngling, not like I know he said foundling, but I I read that as like interesting. It's a they're a tribe, and it's you know it's um again I think it's the same thing you were getting at, which is it's more than just blood. It's like if you're part of the tribe, like this is yeah, it's good to contribute things to oh. the tribe as whole. Like okay. maybe there was enough Beskar there for two pauldrons, but he's only going to take one and donate the rest to you know the little Mandalorian children that are running around with helmets on. Yeah. Okay, so 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 let's back up a second. So William, you said that they're basically, you know, that that they they don't have to Mandalorians are brought into the tribe. So does that mean that they are kind of acknowledging something from the expanded universe because remember we were on Mandalore and they were mm-hmm. pacifists at the time, but and then there were warriors up on the planet. So are they technically taking at least this clan within Mandalore and kind of bending it to what the original expanded universe had yeah. as a battle. I don't know that cl- the Clone Wars pacifist Mandalorians ever, like, that doesn't, the whole foundling orphan. They were all thing. blonde. They all looked the same. And they were two pacifists for me. It yeah, didn't seem like they were, how, it didn't seem like they were the ones that of, were the kind that would accept anybody into their clan. That was a I, temporary thing, I think. It, again, we learned, like, they kind of retconned that in where, you know, the Mandalorians were very much like what we saw in the EU. They, they, they tried to be pacifist for a while and then that fell apart and Maul took over. Right. He, um, there was the big battle of Mandalore, which the siege of Mandalore, right. which we should be seeing in, uh, in February and, and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, think of it more as the swerve in the timeline. Tom, where mm. you know the, the Mandalorians kind of went to pacifism and then they're, then they're back, and now it sounds like they're even in hiding right now. I don't know if it's all of the Mandalorians or just this particular this clan, one clan is in hiding. Yeah, but it's definitely a clan in hiding. Um, and you know, there's these foundlings, whether they're just the younglings or whether they're you know orphans that are adopted in. It sounds like they're um, they're willing to accept everyone and 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 bring them in as part of their as part of their their clan. And okay. it's just really cool to it's really cool to see. I mean, we even get that the flashback of again as we started to talk about earlier the the Mandalorian, um, you know, trying to survive that battle and kind of getting placed into a um, a box, not unlike Jin Erso in Rogue One. Um, yep. And, yeah, and, that's and true. Being, you know, rescuing. We also get so much more Mandalorian lore, right? That we 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 actually see the the Mythosaur skull. Uh, that the same creature that Boba mm-hmm. Fett rides in the holiday special, it's, it's hanging over the doorway leading to the armory. We see it again. It gets name dropped later, uh, later on in the episode. Um, the armorer has Zabrak horns, Zabrak like yeah. horns. Is she a Zabrak, or is it more in honor of I don't know Maul, Maul. who was previously leader of Mandalore? Like, I thought oh, so many good questions. Yes. Also, Hopefully we'll find out at some point. Also, the 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 Great Purge. There was a mention of the Great Purge. Is that the Jedi Purge, or is it something more specific oh. to the Mandalorians? I suspect, based on the just the context, that it it is talking about something specific to the Mandalorians. That's how I read it too. Probably something mm. we'll see in Clone Wars or uh, uh, something where the Mandalorians I, are kind of scattered. I bet to the you. Wings. Oh man. So we know Clone Wars is going to have, there's an arc that occurs on Mandalore with Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Ahsoka and Maul again, right? Yeah. I bet you that's the Great Purge. And it's 
we'll maybe see the uh, the Mandalorian's background maybe comes out of that battle. Maybe that's the droid battle we see, or mm, um, that would be. But I bet you it's be. tied to that. Wow, it's, it's a it's a battle on Mandalore that scatters the clans or you know something along those lines oh god don't blow my mind with the possibility this is something we might see in clone wars well, not, i mean I, yeah. this is this is dave floney we're talking it's about all the dave floney that, verse that's very so. true sorry dave floney and john favreau who you know <laughs> was also heavily involved with all of that story arc yeah oh god that would be so freaking cool wow i i just i love it there's just so much oh, yeah. we also get this hint of like a s- sigil that hasn't been revealed yet to the Mandalorian. Not sure what that means yet. Yeah, but... I know I did. <laughs> she asked, is your signet revealed yet? No. What, like, wait, but what, what does it mean? Yeah. I'm assuming it's just like the sig. Cause I, I was trying to think like, is it the signal that goes on like their armor? But I was, and I was trying to think about like yeah. Boba Fett has, a, has the, the Mandalorian symbol on his armor, but it's the, it's the Mythosar symbol. So like that's, that seems too broad. Right. Uh, I feel but I just, I don't know. So much, like, I just feel like this the this episode okay. opens up so many possibilities. And that's why we have how many episodes for the season to where hopefully by the end, it will all be explained. Not all. So, There's going to be a season patience. two, but yeah. Uh, en- enough, will, enough will be explained in the first season. And then the rest of it should hopefully be explained with more questions in the second season. Yeah. So, yeah. It, all will be revealed in due time. Yeah, I, I think I, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the uh, the whole scene with the client, though. Yeah, which, uh, no, 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 we need yeah, to go yeah, back yeah, to that. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved uh, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the Mandalorian. He's just received, you know, uh, grief cargo. Is like, yep, I've got, I have a job for you. No puck. You're going to have to go and talk to the client in person. So he meanders through town and finds. Uh, you know, we get the, what is it? The little security eyeball that we're familiar <laughs> right with. Right out of Jabba's palace. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's just, he enters and it, what, I mean, so we meet, uh, actually, do we know his name? I uh, think he's just the client. The client, I guess. Like, played by Werner Herzog. Um, yeah, what, what were your impressions of him? Like, he's got uh, a bunch of very dusty stormtroopers around him. Um, and just as another side detail, I love that, they look much more ramshackle than normal yep. stormtroopers, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of indications in the show of what time period we're in, but it's it's five years after post- after Return of the Jedi, and the databank on StarWars.com does call them remnant stormtroopers, so they're part of the Imperial remnant. Um, but yeah, it's not clear like who who is the client and why does he have stormtroopers working for him? Is he well, is he's he got a imperial? bunch of imperial regalia too. Yeah, like, like, is he a former my impression imperial? is or a disgraced imperial officer or Moth? Maybe I bet right. you a Moth. I mean, we, we will meet Moth Gideon later on in the series. Uh, maybe they're connected in some way. I, I don't know. I just so fun to speculate. I, uh, so I, many questions. I, I love the client though. Like Werner Herzog, the way he talks is just so much fun to listen to mm-hmm. in, in the in yeah. the episode, and. You know, he kind of mysterious sets the sets the stage properly, and the whole scene is so tense because you never know. Like the Mandalorian's meeting with this guy, and, and the stormtroopers are there, and like a battle could break out at at, at any moment, especially when Doctor Pershing, played by Omid uh, Abdahi, uh, walks in. Where I, I swear I've seen him before, uh, and I could not for the life of me figure out. From he where. looks a lot like Bodhi Rook. Uh, I was going to say Boy. that he did look like Bodhi Rook, uh, but he's been in a bunch of other TV shows. I forget what he's been in. Okay. Um, 
I'll but, have to look that up after. Yeah, but um, Doctor Put Pershing was particularly interesting because uh, the Mandalorian is given this this top secret off the books mission to go retrieve an asset alive, um, and you know, at one point the client even says proof. You know, <clears throat> he acknowledges, and again, it's such a great scene. He's like, "I know bounty hunting is a complicated profession." So, you know, like, if you can't do it alive and, you know, death is okay, just perfect termination, right? Is, right. Is, is, is okay for a lower fee. And Dr. Pershing, he immediately gets, like, very upset and says, it's, you know, that's not what they agreed on. And, uh, and says, no, it insists that alive is, uh, is, is critical, which I think will, will come into play when we talk about the asset uh, at the uh, little bit later on in in the episode, um, but you know he he, he gets the the Beskar and is, I guess Camtono must be a measurement a unit of measurement for Beskar. I don't know. I, yeah, um, I, not explained I, in the. Episode. I watched the episode twice and I still don't know what it. I, yeah, it's, I thought it was like, yeah, I, it's got to be a measurement. Yeah, hopefully we'll find out in one of the uh, books or at some point it'll be explained if it is a unit of measurement. Yeah, but again, like there is uh there's no more references to the history of the the mandalorians and the fact that uh there was this period of disarray and even the client says it would be good to get the uh it'd be good to get the beskar back in the hands of the mandalorian where it where it deserves to be but you see that's the thing in which he was offering as a payment Uh he had a big store warehouse or someplace that had the best car. And that's why he said, you know, if you do this, it's good to get this back to you because I've got it sitting here. That will be your payment for bringing the asset in alive. Now, if he does not, as it was mentioned, you will get the lower fee, meaning he'll probably get half of it. Right. Still pretty good fee though. Well, still a pretty good fee. Yeah. But I, I just, I love the whole scene. It was just so well done. This is a scene that we saw at Star Wars Celebration. Uh, th- this whole scene with uh, uh, with the client, Dr. Pershing. But I feel like since Celebration, they've really tightened up the scene, uh, it feels like, and made it feel uh, much better editing because it felt a little bit too long the first time around. Um, Interesting. And, and yeah, I, I really liked the the way the scene was uh, was edited and, and, and finally released. It felt, yeah, mm, it, felt really good. It felt solid. Yeah. Felt really solid. Yeah. And I also love how it was like the tension that was built between the Mandalorian and the Stormtroopers. Yes. Yeah. Love that. Because yeah. you you knew, yeah, the Stormtroopers just like, come on, come on, let's do it, let's do it. You knew they were going down with the Mandalorian right there. Oh, it, he, even says, uh, he even says, oh, I like these odds. I'll take on all yeah. four of you. <laughs> you know? it's yeah. Great, I mean, great you, line. you knew there was no way the, those Stormtroopers were going to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, of great lines, though... I think there's one line that stands out uh, out of almost all of them in the show, and that's play. That's from um, the new new character, uh, a um, an Ugnaught named uh, Quill, uh, yes. Q U I I L, um, played by Nick Nolte. And so the Mandalorian arrives on uh, Arvela Seven. We actually get a name of the planet here, and it's like a desert planet, and. Um, he's attacked by these two blurgs who we saw in the clone wars rebels and he walks for the battle friend or but this is our first time seeing them live and uh uh and, and this 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 ugnaught he, he's just i love his character like 
Loved he, it. He and probably the client are my two f- favorite, you know, new characters introduced in this because he has the habit of saying, "I have spoken." Whenever he is um, made a decision, uh, and and it's kind of like a, "Yep, it's no you know, end of end of discussion." Uh, I have spoken, <laughs> and Just so so says cool. many times. He does, but it never gets old. It's just, it's it's used so well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the best lines of the episode. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he does offer to help the Mandalorian. Apparently the, um, the, uh, they're the, whatever's happening in the place the Mandalorian is trying to go uh, is, is causing a lot of these criminals effective basically to, um, to be causing trouble with the locals. And so Quill, this, this, he's just basically this moisture farmer. He, he says, you know what? Tell you what, I'll help you. I'll take you to to this your destination. A lot of other people have come and they've all died. They've all failed. Uh, but if you want, I'll take you and for just half. And of course, the Mandalorian thinks it's half the bounty. And he's like, no, 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 it's just half of the two of the one of the two blurgs. And he's like, well, you could take them all. Um, but uh, he he learns that he actually needs a blurg to reach the encampment and so we get a classic uh a classic um western scene where the 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 mandalorian the hero character gets to gets to learn how to ride a blurg and and just like taming a wild horse a very quick note something we when he first lands on the planet he's attacked by the blurg and one thing's and another amazing attention to detail after the blurg grabs and shakes him around via one of his arms his gauntlet is damaged after as well, mm-hmm. um, which I think actually just lends more evidence to it's not actually Beskar. If you know, yeah, a single, you know, beast right uh, attacking it or whatever you know is enough to do it. I but totally agree, and I think we'll see him I, upgrading his armor over the course of the season. Oh yeah, yeah. but the attention to detail is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, anyway. gotta love, gotta love Quill. I I hope we see him again because he's just. He's such a good. Character. I do. <laughs> have have I you do. spoken? Is that is that your final words on the matter? <laughs> I have spoken. Yeah. <laughs> oh come on. Okay, so Stephen, the Mandalorian reaches the encampment and he's staking. You know, he's kind of staking it out, looking through the yep. viewfinder, and who shows up? IG Eleven. IG Eleven. Although, I, do we actually find out it's IG Eleven in the it is, episode? Uh, I- Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I think so. I, I saw it online. I, 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 really don't I didn't think it was know. It's not IG88 for sure. Right. Yeah. I, I saw a lot of people calling it specifically 11. I didn't know if it. I missed where so that, that IG11's name was released in the run up to the episode. I'm trying to remember now. Gotcha. Does, is, his, is the name IG11 ever explicitly stated in the show? I, I don't. I, I don't think so. I don't think it not, is either. Yeah, it is IG11, um, played by so. Taika uh, Ytt, who is also one of the directors of the of a future of the future episodes. Uh, um, also the director for Ragnarok, just you know, in case you needed more evidence of the amazing people who were on the show. Yes. <laughs> um, what did you think of IG-11? Um, I thought it was amazing. I, was, I thought to stand in the middle of a town and just start shooting like crazy and literally <laughs> shooting in front, behind, up top, anywhere. It's just one of those things like, you know, you see IG-88 in Empire Strikes Back. And you're like, oh, he looks really cool. I wonder what what does he do? What makes him right. such a cool bounty hunter? Uh, and I just, I loved this episode. It's like, ah, this is, this is what makes IG-88 so cool. Yep. Um, 
it's kind of IG-11, obviously, but just watching him uh, blast away is just so cool. Um, the effects on just fantastic. Yeah, and mm. it shows, like, you know, how effective of a bounty hunter IG-11 is because he's got this really cool head, which I think, you know, kind of sensors all over and stuff. And it basically allows him to shoot in any direction um, at once with without even seeming like he's looking, right? Uh, yeah. like well, on top of that, he's not like even moving his himself body, or or later, like he's just spinning his arms around himself, like and just taking yeah. out all the all the all the all the enemies. There's even that one scene later on where you know the Mandalorian's like above you, and he just shoots up without even looking, and the guy just falls to the ground, and it's just it's really well, really, really. Okay, well so so many amazing shots. Okay, so here's shots a question. Shots. Here's a quick question. So everybody in that town. They were protecting, let's say, the quote unquote Bassett, the asset. Yeah. Okay. But where everybody who's protecting the asset, what faction do they belong to? Are they bounty hunters? Are they part of, let's say, um, Saw Guerrera's group, a radical part of this? <clears throat> what was that group that was protecting the asset? Because there it's, was a bunch of them. It's a good question. So, like, I, I think I want to leave the asset reveal and discussion for the very end, but obviously okay. the asset is n- not like a bunch of pirates or smugglers, whatever they are, is not who I would expect to find with, Absolutely. The, with the asset. And and um, until until we saw the asset, that's kind of what I felt mm-hmm. that we were looking at. It was a bunch of pirates. It was basically felt like the Mandalorian was sent into a well, quote unquote pirate's den right. to retrieve something from them. That's how it felt. But and remember but I, what yeah. Quill Steve, says. It feel he like says, it was a pirate den. He says many people have gone in after the asset, and everyone has died. So like right. yep. these guys are clearly they're 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 no uh, they're not pushovers, right? They're yeah, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not pirates like like Hondo's pirates. They're not Hondo's pirates. They're good at what they do, and it takes yeah. someone like the Mandalorian and IG Eleven to to take them out. And I think I think John Favreau actually compared IG Eleven to like the Terminator. Just as far as like yeah. how effective, yeah, he is. I could see it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just, it's just such a great scene. Know. And again, it's a classic West, Western shootout where you know IG Eleven walks straight into the middle of the, the 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 encampment and just starts, you know, demanding that they surrender. And when they don't, he just opens fire. And uh, it's this great moment where you know the Mandalorian and and, and IG Eleven are basically have to fight side by side. And they actually agree to work together um, to uh, to to claim the asset and, and split the bounty down mm. the middle. You know, sorry, I hadn't thought of it until just now. I think this is the best live action blaster fight we've ever had in Star Wars. Hmm. I can't, so, so not I can't think of one better. Not Rogue uh, One? Again, it's... When do- it's very when in Rogue, Western. Like, yeah, when in Rogue One is there a big blaster fight though? Like uh, when when the no, it's when uh, Cassian Andor and Jyn Erso uh, were in the town. Yeah, I would put this above that. I, I yeah, uh, I might agree with you, Stephen. Like, it was, well, you know what? Yeah, I would no because uh, I honestly, I would I would have to agree with you as well. Sorry, start I, I to finish. It is very like I do agree that the Rogue One one is probably the next closest, but even there, right. like it's not. It's not two characters. Yeah, the craftsmanship of, you know, these two characters blazing their way through is just not there. Mm -hmm. Right, I get it. Because when in the the Rogue One, it wasn't just, 
Jin and Cassian Andor. It was all the other guys from Saw Gerrera's group against the Empire. It wasn't yeah. just two characters walking into town and taking everybody out by themselves. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. This this definitely is above that. <clears throat> I also I realize a lot of like it wasn't intentional. The meme of I'm going to self-destruct now or I uh, <laughs> well, initiate self-destruct was just, I loved it so it's much. It's a yes. classic. Like, yes, that was just, very classic. That I feel like that does need to be the new, like, oh, guys, William, the recording isn't working. Initiate self-destruct. Initiate self-destruct. <laughs> like, oh. It was, it was almost a C-3PO. Oh, dad, just leave me alone. Well, I, the thing, Go on thing without that made it me. funny is, like, it was... Anytime they had the tiniest bit of trouble, IG 11's like, okay, self destruct. That's the only yeah. <laughs> answer. You're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're the only option. We're here. pinned down, self destruct. Um, they're coming around, the new new you know, vehicles coming around the corner, self destruct. Um, there's another wave of guys, self destruct. <laughs> Kick it in the door, self destruct. It was it was great. And, and and the the Mandalorian's reaction to all of them too, it was just like he was just always so. So like, oh my gosh, come on. Like, mm-hmm. no, don't initiate self-destruct. We're shooting our way out or, or whatever it was. Do not do it. Uh, it Which, okay, so, so here's the thing. So you get, do get the idea that, yes, the Mandalorian was the first one was sent in, but it seemed like IG-11 was sent as the quote-unquote backup if yeah. the Mandalorian didn't succeed. So if the IG-11 was sent as a backup, and, and this is just going to be a dopey question to ask, why do you think IG Eleven was so quick to self destruct if he was set as the sent as the backup to Mandalorian? Wouldn't you think that IG eight IG Eleven? I want to keep saying eighty eight. Mm-hmm. IG Eleven would have wanted to take out the Mandalorian so that way he wouldn't have to self destruct and take I it all to himself. I don't think he's the backup, by the way. No, he you has don't. An, he hasn't. He seemed to have an actual puck. Like he's he has an actual guild contract, which is more than the Mandalorian has. So, right. okay, so let's put it this way. If he was given a puck, could he have been after somebody else in that comp- compound? No. No, I, I, he's after the same target. But I, oh, I, I was just I was just throwing a monkey wrench in there to see if, if there was something different. I agree. He could have been going I after think the, the same target. Is, but is, was he sent by the client or someone else? Like, okay, is I the Because the IG-11 and the Mandalorian each yeah. thought they were on solo missions. And that's the that's the big deal here. They each thought they were working solo on this mission, and then they yeah. find out they thought they were the only one in the galaxy that had this 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 bounty, and then they find out that they're not. What does that mean? Is the client okay pitting Ooh. multiple bounty hunters against each other? Are there more? I mean, to be and okay. we know there've been far more other people who've come because that's what Quill is. Is it Quill? Mm-hmm. I think it's Quill. Talks about as well. Like, right. oh, I don't know. Okay, all right. So put it this way. Put it this way. So let's say it, since it's supposed to be a quote unquote backstory for the first order, maybe it was the first order that sent IG 11. Uh, why first order? Because we're supposed to be getting a backstory of how the first order formed. Or, so, no, I don't know. Not really. Not no, this one. I, I didn't no. think that was part of this. I, no, I thought that was, I thought, no. I thought I mean, Mandalorian was supposed to be exploring the, 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 the creation of the first order. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, yeah. I thought, it, I, I, thought I read that somewhere. No, that's yeah. That, that would be cool. Okay. Uh, my, yeah. my bad. My I, I don't, in bad. any case, yeah. so it's, anyway, it's not the first order. It's not. I mean, the empire is obviously involved, but I do wonder if we've got other. I have a. Th- 
there's other factions within theory. the old empire. There is an interesting theory that we'll get to when we talk about the asset. Um, I really don't want to go into this this one. So, I really don't. That's interesting you say that. Okay, so, so I have so, I have my feeling about so to, this. To wrap I, up, I'm gonna get so to wrap up like. I was actually surprised. Like IG Eleven actually decides to sacrifice himself. I mean, you know, he kept threatening to self-destruct. So I guess it's not that bad, that big of a surprise. But uh, well, he sacrifices himself. The difference in between some having ways. going out for a cause and yeah, you know, ensuring he doesn't get captured. And he he buys them. He takes a lot of damage, but buys the Mandalorian enough time to steal the big. Um, the, the big turret. turbo laser, the big turret, and uh, mm-hmm. and which allows him to take out all the weak way and the Nikto soldiers, and and eventually blow up on the door where the asset is hiding, and uh, and everything's okay. But um, they walk inside, and again they they agreed to work together and, and split the bounty, and uh, hopefully IG Eleven would get the uh, reputation merits, I guess, which is another interesting factor into the whole bounty hunter mm-hmm. um, uh, guild. Uh, it's not just about the money; it's about the reputation. Um, but they they look in this room, and it's it appears to be empty, right? Uh, until they find this tiny little basket, and what's in the basket? A baby, baby, a Sorry, baby that's the same species as Yoda. Okay. We're, okay. Oh, were you guys expecting not this? what I expected no? at all. Okay. What were you Didn't expecting? Didn't expect that either. No. Okay. Okay. This is. I, I'm. I'm gonna say this. I. I may get some flack. One thing that. I don't want to know a backstory from Yoda's speech uh, of Yoda species. I don't. I I'm don't one think of those. We're get any. Okay. I, I hope we don't because, I. It, and, and that's the thing. Okay. This did throw me completely on, on on my head to see basically a baby which technically for what the uh what was said is 50 years old yeah, approximately yeah yep um and still considered a baby um but i don't want them to explore a backstory of the species because i think some cases leave a certain mystery to a character i think uh, you know all those years ago when it came to the, the backstory of Boba Fett, I'm like, I don't need to know the backstory of Boba Fett. Don't need to know it because in some cases when it comes to mystery, that's the best way for a character to be. Okay, so we got a backstory of Boba Fett. I can live with it. I'm fine with it, all right? But when it comes to Yoda right now, you know, I don't want to know any kind of backstory of his species. I don't even want to know the name of the species. I just want it to be just there and accept it for what it is. That's having this take place did turn me on my head. Hmm. It was the OS moment. Okay. But then I thought about it after it was over going, please don't give me a backstory. I I just want to accept Yoda the way he is. It's interesting because this show, I think in particular of all the recent star Wars stuff that's come along, this show in particular is probably the most obsessed with not providing backstory. And yeah. and I hope they stay that way. And so I yeah, we just need to see what they do, right? Because I, I I I do agree that the mystery surrounding Yoda species is is interesting. Um, but I also wonder if there's some maybe a little bit of stuff they can add to it without definitively laying it all. I I expect out. we'll get a little bit. Yeah. Um, I expect we'll find out that the child is force force sensitive. As oh, a, I think we found that out because the... I think we found that out at the end because wasn't the basket floating? 
Oh, I didn't. I suppose, but I just assumed that was like a repulsor yeah, lift or what whatever. Assume, yeah. Uh, okay. It it that that right now is a total half a dozen one or another. It yeah. could have been a repulsor. Yeah, it could have been either been way. Expensive. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. <laughs> it, it's so interesting. I I loved the 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 concept. Like it was it was not the thing I was expecting, but it was no. um, uh, it was it's so cool. I I think and. To, you know, we know that Yoda lived to be 900, but we actually don't know much about how his species ages. We've only seen Yoda and, 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 and Yadel uh, in The Phantom Menace, and now this new, the asset, for lack of a better word, because there's no name, no species name, um, the baby. And we find out that even though it's only 50 years, it's 50 years old, this baby is, well, it's this salient stole effectively a baby, so that clearly they mm-hmm. age very slowly, or especially early on. Um, what What I thought was, I saw some interesting theories online. Unfortunately, I don't remember who tweeted this. Uh, There's a lot of speculation, but if you look at, if you do the math um, on this this baby's age, mm-hmm. this this show is set eight years uh, after the Battle of Yavin, five years after Return of the Jedi. Uh, if you do the math backwards, the, the Phantom Menace pl- takes place in 32 BBY before the Battle of Yavin. And Anakin yep. is nine years old. If you add those thirty-two years plus the you know the eight, you get forty. Add Anakin's age in; he's nine-ish, nine and a half. That's fifty years. Anakin and this baby were born in the same year. Now it could be pure coincidence, but it, it is interesting oh, that like geez. you know, I wonder if there's a connection in in some way or some significance to that year where like there was something something in the force that year uh i don't know and like are, are these babies rare it sounds like they are right because we've only seen three ever in star wars it sounds like they are incredibly the species is incredibly rare and incredibly valuable which is why uh, i believe dr pershing wants the the baby alive right they don't want it okay now that's killed. some that was something that has been speculated and supposedly kind of worked out when you look at dr pershing on his sleeve mm-hmm. there is a patch that can be traced to the clones on Camino, yes. so they think this guy is actually a "quote unquote" cloner, which so, would also make sense given his 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 uniform. And so I wonder, yes. like, are they trying to clone the species? But that's now the bigger question: what whose side <sighs> is going to be trying to clone the species? Right, and that's why Pershing was so upset about you know getting Yoda back a lot, or not Yoda, this Yoda's. Yoda, the, 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 the baby, asset uh, the asset back alive yes it opens up so many possibilities uh, so, so many, questions. many possibilities so we will find out hopefully some answer the next episode that's going to be releasing on friday yes well and I, I think the most another interesting factor aside from the the, the surprise of, of yeah i wasn't also trying the to, baby, to move forward it was, was a good it was a good plug the fact that um ig11 you know he wants to terminate the baby uh, as specified by hit the by, by the commission so apparently whoever hired him wanted the baby the asset terminated mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and just when you think that ig11 is going to shoot <clears throat> the baby and the mandalorian is going to let it happen instead no the mandalorian shoots ig11 in the head or whatever that passes for a droid head and uh and ig11 goes goes down is do you think is is this the last we've seen of uh of IG eleven? He's a droid. He'll be yeah. back. Yeah, I'm assuming he'll be back as yeah. well. Um, 
By the way, as a side note, <clears throat> how amazing is that shot of the the baby, whatever, baby Yoda kind of reaching up with one hand and the Mandalorian kind of reaching out with his? Very like, AT. <clears throat> yeah. An amazing shot. Yeah. And I love that with it the music, the credits, and the credits has all this amazing art of the... I, I'm assuming it's concept art for the show. And yeah. It's just, oh, and there's that that scene in gorgeous art. Mm-hmm. That's actually what oh, I, I loved the credits. Like the the we haven't talked about the music yet, but like the music is and, and the credits work so well together because they, yes. they rather than doing the classic blue you know blue text on black background, they decided to go more stylized and do the credits on top of concept art for uh for the film and it, it showcases the beautiful work that the ralph mccoy style work that uh the artwork that the the design team makes and it also is a great opportunity to showcase ludwig's ludwig Gordon's uh music which is unique but also feels very star warsy it's a lot more westerny it's a lot more um uh uh woodwinds and i think a recorder right they used heavily used a recorder uh, very much a Western, but also feels kind of Star Wars again. I, I love the Mandalorian's theme. Uh, it's yeah. very mysterious. Really well done. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, as a fan, you guys know me, I love my, my, my soundtracks. They actually released the soundtrack for Chapter 1, day and date, oh. with the, the episode. Uh, and I believe, my guess is that they'll be doing this, because it was explicitly titled Chapter 1. They'll be doing this every week. We'll actually get the full soundtrack for each episode and it was i don't know a good dozen tracks i think um, that's super cool yeah and so uh we're we're gonna get the full the full original score for each episode which i just i love i've i've, I've had it on on repeat the last couple of days very very cool mm-hmm. uh, and the, the yeah. credits are just so so fantastic also special effects and the, the quality we haven't talked about that yet but like yeah i think they're totally yep. up to par with let's say movie quality yeah i know this is the first time they've point. been using that new technology where they can uh visualize they can see the special effects in real time while they're shooting um it's this new technology they've been pioneering and it worked clearly worked incredibly well because uh <clears throat> the special effects are movie quality in a, in a tv show like budget and well a very expensive tv show it's one of the more expensive tv shows produced but still um, it it shows yeah like, yeah it it shows and it's pulled off very well yeah yeah I was it's worth it incredibly impressed and um I just thought they did such a good job on this on this episode um it's just I really have <laughs> no complaints mm-hmm no complaints should we, should we uh, any other thoughts before we get into our final ratings for the Mandalorian chapter one i'm good let's let's do it okay um steven you want to go first oh you would give it to me um i'm gonna have to uh give it a nine out of ten i think it was pretty damn perfect um the only reason i'm not giving it higher is really just that i want to give other episodes room to get room to improve um because it's only going to get better so but they really did do just an amazing job with it. And I'm, as I said, I'm beyond thrilled. It is what I have been waiting for Star Wars to do, a show that is not, I don't know, it pushing the boundaries of what Star Wars has done thus far. And it just, it's fantastic. 
So I'll do a 9 out of 10, and uh, all my Wombrats are going to initiate self-destruct because they're <laughs> so excited. They just they can't help themselves. Nice. Tom? Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to agree with everything you said, Stephen, but I'm going to give it an 8.75 because I want to give it just that little bit more to, to get to 10. I enjoyed this. I think they really hit this one, uh, hit this running. Um, cannot wait to see what the rest of the episodes are going to be like, uh, which the next one's dropping very soon. And I do appreciate it coming and being released weekly like this because to try and binge watch this, I don't know if I could take it. I'd give it to me once a week and I'll be fine. Binge watching this thing, I'd, I'd be like, I want more when it's all over. Mm. So yeah, it, it, it's perfect. Um, my 8.75 Womp Rats. Well, you see, the, the, the one thing you didn't know is that droid that came by in the, uh, let's say, Uber that Mandalorian did not want to jump into. Yeah. It was actually piloted underneath that dome by Womp Rats. And the Mandalorian within his mask knew they were Womp Rats, and he has an aversion to them. So that's uh, why he sent the thing on its way. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yep. Um, wow. You know what? Yeah, this was just a fantastic episode, an incredible debut for director Dave Filoni in the live-action uh, world. Um, and it, it was great to see, like, in some of the the press coverage, he was talking about how he, he had to realize, like, wow, there's things like light we have to deal with in the real world versus, <laughs> like, animation. Um, but he did a fantastic job. I think they did an amazing, amazing job introducing the Mandalorian, this mysterious character, uh, and, and the world, and, you know... I saw some complaints that, you know, oh, he doesn't speak. You don't really see his face. He doesn't speak a lot. Doesn't really speak, don't really see his face. It's, all I think that's all intentional, right? And, and I think it, it adds to the, to the atmosphere and the mood of the, uh, of the show. And it's just so incredibly well done. And they take the time to let the, the, the episode breathe. And so, um, yeah, I, and of course the special effects, the music just all comes together so well. I'm going to give it nine out of 10 Womp Rats as well. My nine Womp Rats, I'm going to feed to the bl- the Blurgs because they, they need some some food. Um, uh, but until then, they're they're being stored in carbonite uh, in in the Razor Crest, and that's that. I have spoken. Cool. <laughs> Very nice. There you go. <clears throat> yeah, we're also gonna do something uh, special. Uh, we're gonna start start something a little new because given the the wealth of Star Wars content we have available. Uh, we're going to quickly do some some brief thoughts on some of the other stuff that's out. And then uh, we'll, we'll, if, if we hopefully we'll be able to circle back and, and review them in, in more detail uh, later if, if the episode or, or book or whatnot uh, uh, requires it. So uh, we're going to briefly talk about Resistance Season 2, Episode 6, From Beneath. It was written by Kevin Burke and Chris Doc Wyatt and directed by Stuart Lee. And uh, as I'm sure you, those of you who watched the episode noticed, uh, in this episode we actually get to learn more about uh, Flix, uh, Flix's past, where when he takes Kaz and the crew to his homeworld to acquire fuel from his family's refinery, only to discover that the family's drilling has been has awoken something monstrous. So this is our first time going to Dragor Three to visit the home of the Gozo, the the bird stick figure like creatures that. Flix belongs in. Um, what did you think of this this episode, guys? I literally thought it was an episode that was totally 100% straightforward, had a beginning, middle, and an end. It was, 
it was a simple enough story that did keep your attention. Um, but also it was like one of those things where it's like to have the uh, Gozo sit there and and it's a legend that if you dig too, too deep, you will awaken what's beneath. And uh, goes, the Gozos were just like, ah, there's nothing to it. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. Well, you'd think after a while with the amount of quakes they were getting on the planet, they'd figure maybe we did do something wrong, especially the big holes that they found probably underneath. So, but should have been a sign. Yeah, should have been a big sign. I, I just thought, for what it was, it was just, just a straightforward episode. You know, it it really did not move the plot forward. Other than the Colossus was almost completely out of fuel, and they had to find some place to get it. And luckily, Flix's cousins had an actual refinery for the Colossus to go get the fuel. Which was definitely convenient, you know, and they happened to be yeah. the closest. And it, it, it's it's nice to kind of learn a bit more about Flix, um, you know, Flix and Orca, obviously, of the Office of Acquisitions. We haven't learned much about them. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see a bit more about Flix and his cousins, like, who apparently all have a name starting in uh, FL. So there's Flanks, who now runs the the refinery, and their uncle Fluge, uh, Fluge, who we never see, his cousins uh, Fleck, Flob, and Fleas, I guess. Fleas, uh, <laughs> yeah, Fleas is a good one. Boy, he was probably scratching behind the ears on that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. You know, it's, it's neat to see more backstory, and we're actually traveling to different planets, which I really liked. Um, again, we talked about how the Colossus, uh, the show is always set on Castellan and the Colossus uh, in season one, and we're actually getting a lot more planets, which is which I really, uh, I really appreciate. And, um, you know, most I of the episode, kinda, yeah, sorry. It, and I think what's kind of helping it to bring in the, the, the more planets and to kind of world build a bit is this might be a good case in point. It's a simple story. Mm-hmm. They're not making the stories that complex to where they only need like maybe a couple characters. Like in this case, they really only had like when it comes to the Gozo, they only use like maybe one model and tweaked it a couple different ways because they all look the same. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you had Kaz, you had Tora, and and that was basically oh, and um um CB. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, and and who else? And Who's uh, the other one? Flix or Norca. Oh, Orca, okay. Yeah. So you didn't have that many characters for a very simple plot. And it made it easy to bring in the planet. So I can see why if they keep that kind of formula with simple stories and bringing in new planets, I can see why that, that works. But how many episodes in are we? And then how many episodes are left? Because they are going to wrap up this whole show at the end of the season. Yeah. So how much much story is left to tell? Yeah. So there's 19 episodes and we are on episode six. So we are officially one third of the way through the final season. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, how much how much more of the story between the first order and the Colossus are they going to tell? I, I, that's where it gets interesting because, like, I uh, this is an interesting, you know, episode, and you know, we got more, uh, we got a closer look at Flix's character, which was really nice. I, I really appreciate that. We got to see his family and his, his cousins. We got to see the planet of Dragor Three with this, you know, where they're actually doing this, uh, ref, they're refining the the fuel and. There's this mysterious Carnex dragon who everyone thinks is a is a myth, and uh, except for Flix, and you know, Flanks does not believe. Flix Which I all. thought was a pretty cool design for that dragon. Yeah, it, yeah, it, I also thought it looked really cool. Yeah, it was, and there's this 
most of the episode is back and forth of, oh, it doesn't exist. Did you hear that? Oh, no, that's, you know, a good X, Y explanation uh, until it finally attacks Kaz. And it turns out the dragon is real and there's a there's a family of them. Um, so it was, it was a cool story. Um, again, relatively straightforward. But, you know, you could also argue the Mandalorian was relatively straightforward, right? But he gets, you know, turns in bounty, yeah, gets I, bounty, captures yeah, bounty. Yeah, you could say it was straightforward. Um, but um, I think one of the uh, I I I do wonder though, like we're uh, we're a third of the way through the season, and it's been four episodes <clears throat> now since we've seen Tam, uh, who I think is the most compelling thing right now. Yeah, I like the concept yeah. of the Colossus searching for resources and 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 struggling to to survive. I, but I was really hoping this season would have more conflict. Yes. The conflict between Tam and the Colossus, and see the the inner fight, inner that the inner struggle that yeah, is going to yeah. go on between that. That is what I was looking forward to. Yeah, especially it, it, if they have to wrap this up in how many episodes now? If it's nineteen episodes, they got to wrap this up in thirteen. Yeah, yeah. And I, I part of me wonders if maybe the back half of the season will will be that again, and the first half will just be like searching for for fuel. But I, I the one thing I, I wish we got a better sense of is progress with the colossus like i think yeah it seems like every episode it's like i I like the concept of having to uh repair the ship right but i feel like every episode is just we need this we need that oh look we got fuel four episodes ago now we're out of fuel again so we need to go get more fuel in a different place Uh, and i wish there was a, a better sense of progression on the colossus like really you could do these episodes in any order and you wouldn't really notice yep um absolutely versus like if we saw the classes like coming together and we needed to prepare this and then we add this piece on and like, I feel like we'd get a better idea of, you know, making progress toward a goal or, or, or getting actually toward a resistance base or, or something. Cause like we're the furthest out in the timeline, but yeah, we've seen, but there's not a, not a ton yet. So yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like the whole concept of deep core drilling and having to repair the drill and, you know, it's interesting, and I liked how we got more backstory on on Flix. We even find out that he had a dream of becoming like a cantina singer <clears> at one point, point. Uh, and, and actually, an earlier draft of the script was going to sing his <laughs> his dreams. Steven? yeah, I will say wow. the other thing impressed me about this episode is Kaz is not a complete failure. He no, routinely right. hits shots on the uh, dragon's eyes. Like, good point. Good point on that. He, I was. That was impressive. A nice change of pace, I thought. Yeah. I felt like he was actually useful as a character. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, he's had a lot of character growth. This this was a, a little more focused episode, um, like you said, with a smaller cast. Uh, but it allowed us to spend a little more time with the, the characters. It's some cool action as well, like when the the elevator plummets to the, the shaft, plummets to the ground, and Orca and Tora are split up, and they find out that light um affects the dragon so they're able to use it to blind them it's cool and also the dragon movement was pretty cool yes. to watch how they how they got that dragon to animate and 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 move through the shots was very and it was also really cool to see the dragon standing next to you know kaz and orca or, or tor or whoever just to realize that if there's movement it will attack but if they stay still and to see that just kind of like with the growl moving was was kind of cool to see yeah some nice stuff in there yeah yeah, so it was a it was a fun episode overall. I, I really hope they start moving the 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 plot forward a bit more, or or, or giving us a better sense of progression. But um, I, I I do like how they're exploring new parts of the galaxy now. 
Yeah. yeah. I, it just feels like they've taken a bit of a step back. Like the end of season two was so good, was getting really good. And they, I feel like they've taken a little bit of a step back and uh, haven't quite gotten back to the point they were yet. Yeah. They haven't gotten their legs back under them again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure they'll yeah. get there. I'm sure they'll get there. Yeah. Um, Tom, cool. what would you rate the episode? Um, well, I think I'm uh, 6.5 is what works for me. Um, again, it was just a solid story. Had a good begin, had a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, didn't really move the full story arc forward, but it at least moved a little bit forward when it comes to resupplying the Colossus. And and the priority right now is Colossus. So my 6.5 Romp Rats, they're going to be running around those caves and they're going to be driving those. No, that's right. They did end up pulling rock down on top of the dragons to put them back away. So I was going to have the um, Womp Rats kind of running around and basically teasing them and playing like um, red light, green light. That would be fun. <laughs> but since that's not the case, the Womp Rats were actually uh, stuck in the cave with the dragons to keep them company. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually, I think I would agree with you. It's, I would give it a six and a half out of 10. Um, it was a, uh, decent episode, you know, again, we got to like the character development. Um, and I hope we start to see more of the, the progression, but as I, as I, I feel like I've already said my mind here, so, uh, I'll just leave it at that. But my six and a half Womp Rats, they're actually going to be, uh, given to the, uh, the Carnex dragons as, uh, as food, as snacks. Uh, oh. to keep him appeased. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that's you, you okay. stole mine, William. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, I'll also give it a six and a half womp rats. Uh again, it's an okay episode. It's kind of what I've come to expect out of the resistance, and that it's um I go in expecting it to be worse than it is. It ends up being better than I expected, but still, you know, I watch it once and then I'm okay. It's not something I'll ever revisit. Um and given that you've uh already eaten my uh like you stole my my idea i guess uh flicks and everyone else i guess you know they they know the dragons are down there now and so they're just gonna have to uh throw some womp rats down the deep drill hole that they made and that's how they'll <laughs> keep them happy <laughs> throw six and a half womp rats down the hole a week and you're good to go there you go nice and safe yeah <laughs> Well, uh, cool. coming up on Ion Cannon, just a couple days, we're actually going to do our next review uh, in just a few days so that you don't have to wait. We have our review of The Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 2, Chapter 2. Uh, target in hand, The Mandalorian must now contend with scavengers. And if you're listening to this, The Mandalorian could be out any minute. So uh, definitely uh, go check that out. Uh the Mandalorian is so, so, so good. And I uh, really can't wait to hear what you think. Uh, send us a message. Let us know uh, what you think, uh, what you thought of The Mandalorian. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, hopefully you enjoyed it. There's just so much goodness on Disney+. So, Plus. It's so rich. Also, worth oh. calling out, um, one thing that completely slipped by me, but Disney Plus has four, is the first time ever We've gotten 4K versions of the original six films and The Force Awakens. That's never been before been released. 4K versions, they've been remastered um, for the the highest quality uh, Star Wars experience, which means it's time to go back and rewatch the films. 
in 4K. Isn't it always time? Uh, it is. Yes, it's I, ironically, time. I, I actually just finished. Uh, I've been watching through the wa- watching the, the 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 whole saga with my girlfriend, and we we just got to finished episode seven. Uh, Very nice. And and then uh, uh, we're now moving into the 4K era on Blu-ray that I have, and then they really released the 4K versions of the of the last seven that we just finished in uh, in wow. HD. So. Uh, uh, we'll have to go back and uh, uh, rewatch them or something. But cool. But yeah, it's great stuff. Disney Plus, wow, really cool. Also, uh, we don't need to spend too much time on this, but um, there was a big little bit of a fur over the the week because apparently uh, the scene, the cantina scene in A New Hope, was changed yet again. Uh, George Lucas actually made a yeah, made an edit to this uh, before he sold uh, to Disney. Where uh, now I guess Greedo says uh, McClunky uh, right before his shot. So I, who knows what he is saying? Um, but uh, I, I haven't. I need actually uh, need to go course. watch it myself now. I haven't. I haven't seen it yet because I've been traveling. I just got home as we're recording this, so I can finally watch Disney Plus on my in glorious 4K. Um, yeah, it's like why? I actually look. I, I I'm not one who gets upset about this. I don't really mind personally. Um, any of I don't. I don't really care who shot first like it doesn't bother me i know i'm probably in the minority but um everyone has an opinion um but it's interesting you know again we're this is a brand new release of the of the films with some minor tweaks and changes and uh i'm excited to rewatch them again to re-experience them from the beginning so with that thanks for listening and uh let us know what you thought of the mandalorian we will be back in just a couple days with our review of chapter two Talk to you later, guys. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.